Walking for a life age, my boy. It's got to be here somewhere. Oh. Uh, up here, Master. I think I see something. Here. Uh, yeah, thank you, my boy. Uh, up ahead. There. There, in the blowing snow. Quickly, or the blood will freeze in our veins. Come, come, my boy. an entire cavern carved from solid ice. The very air steals the breath from my lungs. I didn't know there could be such cold. And these carvings, they prove what I thought all along. This ancient ice archer, Hex, he was a pox on the world, and his final creating this place, it proves it. I'm not so sure, Master. From all of my research, he was a man of peace, a farmer, a family man. Only in the end of his life did he see it necessary, necessary to, to conceal the ice bow up in this remote cavern. You cannot hold that against a man's entire life. I'll do exactly that, my boy. Now, don't argue. Move along. Deeper, there, into the cavern. Follow that passage to the left. Here. It's enormous, Master. Look at this place. The more we see, the more we discover, the harder I find it to believe your assessment that this man was evil or sadistic that he placed his great treasure so far from the world for some covetous reason. What could it be? Why change from a peaceful, almost boring man of agriculture, village life, to this remote place? Oh, look, look, my boy. There may be the answer to your questioning. There, frozen solid. Let me risk a small spell to release that object from its icy tomb. Melorectus Darsenum Infierno Carmen. A wave of cold from that cube of solid freeze. Wait. There, you've revealed it. It's not a bow at all, nor any cache of magical dragon-killing arrows. None of these things. My researcher... What did I miss? You missed nothing, my boy. For there was nothing to be found. Only this secret here. Do you see it? This is one of the rarest objects in creation. Your description of Hex may be more accurate than I had imagined. For he did not hide his legendary bow here in the ice. But he was concealing an RPG mainframe.
that was just for for good measure. Greetings, program. It's your old buddy. Ingram Burnall here, hankering Fernail, coming back at you with another jam-packed episode of the RPG Mainframe podcast that's made to last where you can kick back and do some deep thinking. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. Hope y'all are happy, healthy, safe, and strong out there in this wild world. But for the next half hour or so, let's take a break from all that and get into some cognitive analysis. You know, here on uh, Runehammer and the RPG Mainframe, we're all about thinking deep. It's not just, uh, hey, here's a new uh, idea for a tunnel, you know, or here's the latest analysis of the best spells you want to pick for your warlock. Nope, we go far deeper than that. We take a look at the actual mental processes, not only that are going on when we're doing our glorious hobby, but also ways that we can harness our thought habits, our thought processes in ways that will make us more creative, make us more interesting, and make us overcome the hurdles of being creative, which is Probably one of the topics I find myself uh, returning to again and again more than any other is that the, the obstacles of creativity, especially prolonged creativity over the course of weeks, months, years, has is fraught with peril and with roadblocks and with stallouts, as we all know. Any real uh, sort of quote unquote working game master knows what I'm talking about. There is a constant set of speed bumps on being creative over a prolonged period. And so that's what we think a lot about a lot here at the thinking machine of the RPG mainframe. And today we are going to take a look at a certain breed of cognitive bias. We're going to look it right in the eye and we're going to wonder how it's affecting us and if we can sort of master it in a way that could flip the script on that instead of it causing issues for us, it becomes a point of strength. Now, cognitive biases uh, is a subject that's been argued about by psychologists and anthropologists for decades. Um, a lot of it has been, uh, you know, confirmed absolutely through research projects, which, you know, it's never easy to come up with good, solid proof on psychological research projects. But uh, the more mainstream of the cognitive biases um, can be read about and, and they're well demonstrated. And a lot of them are not terribly interesting. They're the product of evolution. They're the product of our survival instincts. They're the product of where we came from as a species. They are the simple habits and tendencies we have in using our big, crazy, folded up brains in different ways. Now, if you want to do a somewhat entertaining uh, read on Wikipedia, you can look up cognitive biases and there's some really hilarious ones in there. Um, you know, from very high level ones like gender bias, right? Which is, you know, just you tend to identify with your own gender and sort of um, not notice things about other genders, <laughs> which is very serious, very well documented and very important in life. All the way down something like the Ikea effect. This is another one that uh, is in modern parlance. <laughs> the Ikea effect is uh, having an exaggerated sense of value on an object that you assemble. Um, how Ikea managed to get that, I'm not sure because it applies to a lot of things besides, you know, cheap coffee tables, but still the, the spectrum of cognitive biases is a kind of a, an entertaining topic because some of them are like dead serious and very important for modern society. And other ones are like a little bit silly, like the Ikea effect or group think is another kind of funny one. But today we are going to be focusing on one very specific type of behavior called exception bias. 
Now, exception bias is something that we all do every single day. And it is basically the human brain has a little bit more interest in things that are out of the ordinary. Now, that may seem extremely vague and high level to get started, and it is, and we're going to start descending from 10,000 feet down to a few thousand, down to a few stories, and then into the underdark of the meat of this podcast. <laughs> but exception bias is basically our curiosity and our taking note of things that are out of the ordinary. And here's where the real rub of it is, is this same behavior also makes us accidentally disregard huge swaths of information that are not out of the ordinary, that are perfectly ordinary. So let's take an example. We have a town of a hundred people and for decades, if not centuries, this little town has just been living in peace and harmony, has been farming. They've just been doing their thing. Maybe there's a guy that makes chairs on one end of town. There's another guy that fixes cars. You know, there's a few little soda shops and pubs where they gather on the weekends and, you know, they're just living out their lives. But then one day for reasons that are not entirely clear or important, <laughs> one of the residents of our idyllic little town goes berserk and like kills four people and then drives a car into the, the local gas station, blows up, starting a fire that kills two more people, and then the killer himself catches fire, stumbles out of the car, and burns to a crisp in the street. <laughs> that was terrifying. It was gruesome. It was morbid. It was cataclysmic. It was sudden. It was violent. Suddenly, our minds play a little trick on us. And the thing that you remember about this little town is that guy who went berserk that one time. Now, this is only interesting because in our little example, decades, if not 200 years of time had passed with very little unusual things happening in this little town. But our minds will instantly categorize that into a certain type of data, lump it together and compact it for storage. Then we hear the follow-up story of this man who goes berserk and that takes our attention. All the little details are easy to remember, like the man burning to a crisp or slamming the car into the gas station. You'll remember those little details. And this is the essence of exception bias. Now, it has some very real-world ramifications that we're experiencing right now in our lives, but this podcast isn't really here to talk about that so much. Namely, the greatest culprit and the greatest perpetrator of blatant exception bias is modern news media who are fascinated by things that are out of the ordinary. And in delivering information to us, the people at large, we, they're presenting a somewhat warped sense of what's going on in the world by emphasizing the out of the ordinary and disregarding the huge swath of information that goes against the judgments that those out of the ordinary facts tend to induce in us. And so we, we tend to adopt extreme views and have extreme reactions because we are interested in extreme things. It's not wrong to be interested in extreme things. The problem is that your mind can miss a lot of what's going on because of the way it compacts and notices information. And so what we're here to do today in episode 67 of the RPG mainframe is talk about three ways that you can look at yourself to do a little introspection. You get your lawn chair out, you know, 
Maybe get your lemonade, go down to the park and sit with your notebook and, and take a little, take a little me time, you know, just do a little thinking about thinking and make yourself smarter, make yourself more creative by knowing your own habits. And this is understanding exception bias or sort of over-attention to oddity is another way to call it. And here's how I think exception bias can be counterproductive for the creative RPG hobbyist, especially the game master, who a lot, I mean, let's face it, a lot of RPG creativity falls to the game master. The impetus, the sort of the beacon, the, the pushing forward, the unexpected, a lot of those things come from the game master, and so that creative burden is often where the RPG mainframe focuses its invisible ray of mind power. <laughs> That's me. I'm just your local podcaster who perceives himself as an invisible ray of mind power. You know, no, no hubris here. <laughs> okay. So the first area I want to talk about, we're going to hit three of these. The first area I'm going to talk about where exception bias is holding you back is self-evaluation. And, and I kind of like to think of it as the fog of oddity and the clarity of boredom. Now, often creative people are looking at themselves and evaluating. They're evaluating their output. They're evaluating their habits. They're evaluating their tools. They're looking for new tools. They're looking for new input, new ideas, and then doing it all and then expressing themselves and doing it all over again, then evaluating all over again. And then you do this day by day, sometimes hour by hour, sometimes during a game that you're hosting, you're doing it minute by minute. You're gauging player reactions to try to figure out how good you're doing as a game master, or you're gauging player reactions to try to figure out if they're interested in going to the ice cave or if they want to go explore the lava tunnels, right? And you're, you may not want to ask them directly. So you're mining their reactions. Then you're evaluating your responses. Then you're taking action. Then you're evaluating again, right? On and on and on. This is a very creative loop to go through is evaluating yourself. And when you're evaluating yourself, I believe you suffer from two states. One is the fog of oddity, which I think is the word suffer. That's where that applies, <laughs> the fog of oddity. And one is clarity and boredom. The fog of oddity is noticing exception moments in what you do as a creative person. So if you look at that, all that you've done, say in the past month as a creative person, you will notice that your mind right away has dog-eared a few items, has put a little post-it note on a few items, either saying this was terrific or this was horrific. <laughs> You'll notice that right now. If you think back, what have you done in your hobby or RPG hobby in the last 30 days? And you'll notice that your mind has dog-eared a couple of little items. These are either the highlights or the low points of your creative life in the past month. This is how our brains work. Now, on the other side, I have what I call the clarity of boredom. And this is the other 99% of the stuff you did this month that is not dog-eared. It was the kind of the lazy doodling. It was the throwing around ideas. It was the sketching. It was the just journaling. It was the cleaning up your browser folders. It's all these other little things. It was the, you know, browsing uh, new PDFs. It was maybe rereading a section of the monster manual. It was sitting in your lawn chair, zoning out on the beach, just with your sunglasses on, just thinking about your next game. It was practicing your, your big bad guy monologue in your next game. It was wondering what would make a cooler token for one of your players, or if you need to change the coat on some guy, <laughs> you know, all this other stuff. None of this stuff is terribly remarkable. 
But what's amazing about it is that it's actually who you are as a creative person. It's an actual picture of what you do and what it's all about. And those exceptional moments, even though they hog the spotlight, they are not a fair assessment of who you are as a creative person. You are this larger data set. So if you take that, you're actively telling your brain, okay, I see the, the, the post-it notes that you've put on the last 30 days of data. I'm going to pull those post-it notes off and crumple them up and toss them. And I'm going to look through this whole folder for a second. Now this can be a little bit tedious to sit there and manually parse through thoughts, but that's just it. This tedium is the essence of beating exception bias. It says cliff notes aren't going to do for this little task. My friend, I'm going to need the actual data and I need to sit here and look back and I need to think deeper. And this is a step that it's kind of like a kick in the head, right? It's, it's a bit of a shock to the system. You have so many pages to leaf through now because your post-it notes are gone. So you need to start at the beginning and you need to work through and you see the real data for what it is. And for me, and maybe some of you guys agree, maybe you don't, I hope to hear from you in the comments. This gives me a clearer perception of who I am and lets me do a better job at what we're talking about in this first point, which is self-evaluation. Am I killing it? Am I spending time doing cool stuff? Is cool stuff resulting from how I'm spending my time? Should I switch things around? Should I try something completely new that nobody thinks I'm going to do just to make myself enthusiastic? Should I take a complete break from things? Am I acting burnt out? Am I like having a manic creativity super explosion? Like what's really going on? Self-evaluation works better when you can train your brain to beat exception bias. Okay, now the next behavior that is a constant a constant in all creative life is seeking new ideas, especially for someone who has been in it for quite a while, years or decades. You need new ideas and you don't always just feel them magically bubbling up. <laughs> so what can exception bias, understanding it for what it is, what can that teach us about the process of looking for new ideas? For me, there's probably a lot of ways, but I had to zero in on one that I felt the strongest about reading through some of the research that's been done over the years. And I really think it is this fundamental statement, which is that novelty does not equal quality. Now let's unpack that a little bit so we can see how sometimes we're fixating on novelty, thinking that that's a new idea. Novelty being, oh, well, that's kind of a cool idea and that's kind of out of nowhere. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's wacky. I never saw that one coming. Right. That's like novelty. But sometimes in the process of seeking new ideas, we become fixated on novelty, not realizing that meat and potatoes ideas are not the same as bad ideas. If novelty equaled quality, then you wouldn't have genres of things. Because we'd be constantly pushing for different novel combinations of stylistical themes, right? But you know what the truth is? Sometimes novelty is the opposite of quality. Sometimes quality just lives right in the genre with all the elements and all the tropes that you've come to expect and yawn at. But they're executed with quality. They're executed with honesty and faith. So is novelty cool? Yes. 
But I think it can become a real obstacle when you're looking for new ideas that you're expecting them to be unlike ones you've either had before or that other people have had or executed. And we all know that, especially fantasy games, have a tendency to follow certain stylistical moments. And sometimes, as game masters, we're looking to crack those open and do something different. And it can lead to frustration because you find that the genre wants to fight you when you're trying to bring in the giant robots. That the interdimensional time travel to the 1940s is feeling a little difficult to sell. (laughs) Actually, that's another great example. Star Trek was really sort of notorious for this. Like every, And you could choose any series and they would do it. Every once in a while, every 12 episodes or so, they would get into this novelty kind of idea. And they would take the crew and they would put them in World War II. And like people in the 40s, you know, had like racist responses to Spock. And that was like the theme of the episode. And you're just like, wow, is this Star Trek? What's happening right now? And to me, that's a really good example that novelty can be interesting, but it is not to be mistaken with quality. So when you're seeking new ideas, you don't need to look for the one that's never popped up before. You don't need to look for the one that hasn't already been done by someone else. You can find a lot of quality in a war between dwarves and elves. (laughs) You can find a lot of quality in a set of tunnels and chambers underground that are filled with monsters and treasures. There's still a lot to be done on your execution without it being that novel or even honestly that original. And so your exception bias is to think, ooh, that's the weirdest idea. That's probably the best one. I can tell you for someone who's like working on this stuff around the clock every dang day, that is not true and almost is never true that the weirdest idea is the best one. Novelty is not the same as quality. So know your own exception bias when seeking ideas and feel comfortable in going with ideas that are familiar. Novelty isn't the same as quality. Now, the third one is a bit of a lifestyle analysis based on exception bias. And it's about the word inspiration. It's about being inspired. This is something that we constantly search for as ongoing creative people. And I know, especially from where I sit in the sort of RPG ecosystem, I am, you know, looked to and hollered at by folks about inspiration whether handing it to me or being happy that I have handed it to them or both happening at the same time. But being inspired is this magic state we get in. We're almost manic about our hobby. And we've all been to this place. We see something, hear something, experience someone or something that just lights our sort of hobby brain on fire. And we are inspired. We are ready to go. We're ready to do some cool work. We're ready to draw some stuff. We're ready to write some things down, get an adventure pulled together. We're ready to call some homies, be like, get over here. We're going to play some bone crushing D and D because I am lit right now, right? You're inspired. Now, as a creative person, I think you guys can see where this goes with exception bias. You start to see inspiration as the time that you're creative. Oh yeah, man. When I'm inspired on something, I'm just like hog wild, you know, I'm killing it. But I would actually argue that the far larger, the sort of the iceberg under the surface of being creative really is much more about showing up. It's much more about the process over time than it is the flashes. 
Now, the flashes should never be undervalued in how awesome they are, but I can tell you, they do have, they can have a negative effect on your creative mind. The limbic way that your mind interacts with creativity, which you can say, you know, well, I just, I don't know, I don't really feel inspired today. You know, I'm not really feeling that spark. And it can put you in this state of like waiting for it to happen. Like it's like, you know, fairy dust that's going to drift down from the sky and then whoop, hey, I'm inspired. Oh my God, time to do a bunch of cool shit. But I would argue that this is a classic case of looking at the exception, not the rule. The rule being you show up almost on the daily. You browse through your Twitter feed, which has all these RPG hashtags, right? You're looking at Instagram, which is pictures of miniatures. You're lazily doodling away in your notebook, or maybe you're drawing a little monster in the corner of your, your, your DMV driver's license form. <laughs> I would argue that this ongoing process, these small truths that are not fascinating from a distance, those really reveal the essence of who you are as a creative RPG mind. Not the moments that you're inspired, which we all know are super, super fun. You're just lit up. But to look to that as the time when you're creative, I think can be very destructive. It can leave you sort of on this sort of manic depression roller coaster ride of like either totally killing it or being completely burned out. And I think the lifestyle of showing up and just doing these small acts of creativity in a, in a like a you know a sustained fashion, that's where the dividends really lie. It's like if you drink a beer all week and then eat, you know, a salad on Sunday and then you think to yourself, I'm such a great vegetarian. <laughs> I had cheeseburgers and beers all week, but I had a salad on Sunday. That's different than if you just moderately add a few more vegetables throughout your day every day. It's much more boring. The moderate answer is so much more boring. It doesn't, it's not going to make the 11 o'clock news. But to me, it's a better definition of what the substance of life is, not these exceptions that tend to grab our attention. So that is my thoughts on what exception bias is doing to us as creative people. It's drawing our attention to flare up moments and accidentally taking attention away from the meat and potatoes of the small acts that we do that over time make us part of this great hobby. Now, part of what led to Mainframe 67 about exception bias is a fantastic new book called Humankind, A Hopeful History. And uh, I'll include the link um, here in the Patreon post. And I cannot recommend this book strongly enough. You guys know that not all books I recommend are just RPG books. They're, you know, some of them are much more cognitive science based. And this is a fantastic book about how negativity actually has drawn much of our attention, wrongfully so, over the centuries. In human history, human psychology, human evolution, the nature of warfare, the nature of human conflict. And I am so inspired by this idea. I see it as so powerful as a self-reflecting tool, as know thyself, right? So says Socrates. And to do so... We need to get past this sort of habit of exception bias, of only really keeping detailed track of the stuff that makes it on the 11, 11 o'clock news. Throw away your post-it notes. <laughs> Reread the whole book. 
So I hope that this podcast has been informative to you guys and has been illuminating. And I really do recommend not joking around, trying that lawn chair exercise of sitting down and taking a look back at, at what you're doing and have done without just looking at the dog ears, but thinking about the underlying daily picking away. Another great one, uh, when I was talking to my dad about this very topic, is he mentioned sometimes you find yourself trying to farm for so long that you look back and you're a farmer. <laughs> Even though, you know, you never really had like a bumper crop, you never really, you know, um, amazed the town with your award-winning tomatoes the whole time you've been scratching your head and wondering, you know, if your carrots are ever going to look normal. But you do it long enough and you fight those little daily battles and then one day you look back and you've been doing it 20 years and you're a farmer. And that to me is a great example of overcoming exception bias and seeing your life, your creative life as a game master for what it truly is. And in that clarity, in that revelation, I think new levels of creativity are unlocked. You guys, that's all I got for Mainframe 67. Keep an eye out for some more posts this month. Uh, ICRPG 3E is going into playtesting this week, so that's insanely exciting. And um, might be having a couple other surprises pop up here and there just to keep you guys excited. I hope you all are getting your um, copies of Retune out there. Be sure to pick one up and let me know what you think. I am dying for some feedback on this stuff. You know, feedback is the bread and butter of the artist. So please <laughs> holla at you, homie. Thank you, everybody, for the ongoing support here on Patreon. You are keeping me alive in 2020. I want you to do the same out there. Take care of each other. You got to keep it real. Don't you go stealing. And you're always going to get a deal. It doesn't rhyme that good that way, does it? Anyways, I'll see you guys on the Internet. I'm out of here. Peace. Peace.